The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Then they came to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him, and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. The city of Corinth was a rather prosperous place. It was a booming city in the days of St. Paul. And as such, there was all sorts of opportunities for the living of carrying out of vice. The society in so many ways was corrupt, focusing on the desires of the flesh, whether of sex or of food or of drink, not thinking so much about the Lord God. It's for this reason that the Christian community was often struggling with this fact of how is it that we live in this society? Some of them sought simply to run, to be able to take their family and to flee. Some of them decided not even to take their family. They just fled. Individuals leaving their family behind, leaving their spouse and their children to essentially kind of fend for themselves. And they would go off to live this this heightened Christian life. They had heard the call of the gospel and they were responding, but they didn't always respond exactly well. And this is why St. Paul was having to write to the community to say, if you're married, stay with your wife. Don't just leave because you found the gospel and you feel like you need to abandon everyone behind to themselves and and go live for Jesus, right? You've got obligations. Maintain them. But also, if you're not married, consider this. And this is where we pick up in today's second reading. He says, I would like to free you from anxieties. I would like to free you from anxieties. That right there should be our vocations pitch in the diocese. You want free of, freedom from anxiety? We've got a plan for you. Huh? Obviously, St. Paul didn't have to deal with dioceses and diocesan and protocols and red tape, but that's a whole different discussion. But there's this fact that St. Paul begins this reflection about the concerns of the human heart that the married person is necessarily, and rightly so, concerned about their spouse, concerned about their children, concerned about the worldly welfare. Very often I'm reminded of this fact whenever people come and express their concerns and I'm responding to their concerns and realize their concern isn't really for themselves, it's for their kids, it's for their grandkids. One is concerned about the others to whom they are necessarily tied. But then opposite this, there are those, St. Paul says, who are unmarried, 
who can be concerned solely with the things of the Lord. Not to be necessarily uh, bound to an individual family, but to be at the service of something larger. Celibacy, virginity. He says he doesn't, this is not binding. It's kind of the, the concluding line that we wrote. He says, you're, you're not bind, you're not bound to this. I'm not saying if you're, if you're unmarried, you shouldn't get married and you can't get married and you have to do this. Certainly not at all. But he's saying if you are unmarried, here's the invitation. Consider the call of celibacy, of virginity, not simply for the sake of oneself, but for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the Lord. Celibacy is not something exactly viewed in a positive light these days. For a person to remain celibate, to abstain uh, from sexual interaction, uh, and to essentially even, uh, either in the short term, uh, as a youth, uh, simply preserving one's own chastity and purity, or in the long term of making some sort of vow or or unofficial um, commitment of life uh, to our blessed Lord and celibacy or virginity, at, at best, it's weird and awkward. At worst, you're a total pervert, and you're too sick and twisted, and you need to be fixed. This is not the look of the kingdom. The kingdom of God sees celibacy and virginity as indeed good and holy things, things to be pursued, indeed, if one is called. The gift of celibacy is something, celibacy is something that that often is not entirely understood and appreciated in its complexity. Many simply see it as a a mere practicality. But there is that peace, but there is certainly more to it. Celibacy, first and foremost, is Christological. It reveals something to us about the person of Jesus Christ. We look at Christ and we can see in him the beauty of the, the perfection of God himself. We can see the the fullness of what we are called to be, not only in this life, but also in the next. To lift up our hearts to God as we behold our blessed Lord. But when we look at the person of Christ, we recognize that he was simultaneously celibate, paternal, and spousal. That he took for himself no earthly wife, and yet continually he is referred to as the bridegroom. He took to himself no wife to have biological children, and yet he is a father to countless souls that come to him for counsel, for advice, for healing, for forgiveness. Celibacy is a simple reminder that celibacy itself does not have to be a rejection of paternity or spousehood, but it can accompany them both. Indeed, properly understood, it should. A priest, a religious sister, is not freed of the obligation to love. It's simply carried out in a different way. Celibacy or virginity is also eschatological. It points to the end. Our blessed Lord, elsewhere in the gospel, speaks of the fact that in, even in heaven there is no giving or taking in marriage. 
It doesn't mean one is no longer uh, connected to one's spouse. It doesn't mean that, that you're free to the bonds and, and there's no connection there. Certainly, just by the nature of one's bond in this life, there is indeed an intimate connection in eternal life. But the simple fact is that marriage is the sign that points us towards God. And celibacy is a reminder to us that God in heaven, that we are indeed wholly and individually offered to him that we are espoused to Christ, the bridegroom. A person who is celibate, consecrated celibate or consecrated virgin is a living, walking billboard to the world that there's something more that we live for. The simple fact of, of having renounced marriage means that there's something else. There's something beyond. That if this life was all there was, renouncing marriage would be foolish. Why deny oneself the, the gift of family life? But this is not the case. Celibacy points us to the fact of the kingdom of heaven, where we will be consumed by Christ and in Christ with Christ. Thirdly, there is that practical aspect of the gift of celibacy, availability to the church. This is the one that most people think of. Well, Father's really busy, so he needs, <laughs> he needs to basically just be freed up for the time, right? Indeed, there is truth to this. But it's not just that kind of a, a mere practicality of the time. It's the willingness of the openness of the human heart. I'm reminded of the, there's a, 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 basically a poem from uh, Catherine Doherty called What is a Priest? And she, she writes about the reality of, of the priesthood. She had a great love for the priesthood. And one of the lines that, that, that speaks in that, um, in that particular poem is the fact that, that the heart of the priest is open so that all might pass through. The heart of the priest is open so that all might pass through. It is not only for a particular spouse and for particular children, but indeed to receive all as one's children. Availability, not in the sense just of, of the time, but in the openness of the heart, a generosity of the heart, a concern and a love for each who are set before them. And lastly, celibacy points towards the good of marriage. And this seems an odd one to add in here. And people often in the world, whenever they think that, they would think it's kind of foolish. That why, why would not getting married celebrate marriage? Well, it's a simple fact of celibacy is a good because of the good that it is willing to offer up. If a certain national football team, national champion football team, the next year lost a large number of their great football players and found themselves in a precarious position of being at best a five and five team, and at best looking at, at the past of some some difficulties, we will say, in, their, uh, in their, their, their acting as an institution, recognize that they should penalize themselves at some point, that maybe a five-and-five five season is a nice time to renounce one's willingness to go to a bowl game. It doesn't sting that much, huh? To say, we're not going to go to a bowl game this year is to go, <laughs> good. <laughs> means we won't end up five and six. 
But if a championship team came back and was also a national championship contender and was undefeated and was the, the overwhelming one who was sure to be the, the national champion again, to say we're going to forgo a bowl game would be crazy. There would be an intense discussion about it. And the reason that, that celibacy is as valuable as it is is because marriage is as valuable as it is. Marriage is not just a five-and-five five football team. You're just kind of like, eh, you know, we'll give that up. That's fine. We'll give up the bowl game. Mm-hmm. It is far more. It is an incredible good. Marriage is the foundation of society, is the basic cell of, of, the, of the world. It is the thing by which the, the Christian life and the church is able to continue to perpetuate and to grow and to be increased in numbers and in holiness and in goodness. To be willing to give up this incredible good is the reason that celibacy has value in itself. It points towards the good of marriage. Again, celibacy is not something that is necessarily celebrated today. It's not rejoiced in in so many places, outside the church as well as even inside the church, celibacy frequently coming under attack. But St. Paul tells us of its goodness. Christ shows us that goodness. That a soul that is unmarried is indeed able to be anxious, not of the things of the world, but of the things of the Lord. To look always to heaven. To be willing to be a parent to all who come before them. To open one's heart to give of one's life, poured out generously and continuously, and to highlight and, and hope the good of every marriage that surrounds them, recognizing the necessity of them both to build upon one, one another. Indeed, there are some in our community who have the gift of celibacy. And indeed, it is a gift, a blessing from God, a charism placed in the heart that lived well will build up the glory of the kingdom of God and save countless souls. But our world would seek to shout them out, to tear them down, to make them flee. It's our part as Christians, as a Christian community, to pray for holy vocations. Vocations to the priesthood in our diocese, vocations to religious life for our diocese, that indeed marriage might continue to be upheld and rejoiced in as well. And so as we offer this Holy Mass, we give thanks to God for the gift of so many prophets, in a sense, as our readings speak today, raised up from our own families, individuals who are able to raise up to be able to dedicate themselves to the Lord and service to the Christian community. We pray that God will continue to increase those numbers in our own community here at St. Agnes.